Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In just 10 years, America will cross an important demographic threshold. By then, all of the country's baby boomers will be 65 or older. And this will expand the size of the nation's elderly population so that one in every five adults will be retirement age. What are we doing to prepare for this? And who's looking ahead to the not so distant future to prepare us for the changes this shift will bring to our institutions, our economy, and our way of life? With me today to discuss this is Matthew Ratcliffe of Aging 2.0, a business connection and innovation platform for the aging and senior care sectors. Aging 2.0 is a national organization founded in San Francisco that aims to spur aging-focused innovation through 80 groups around the country that promote collaboration and entrepreneurship. Matthew heads the Baton Rouge organization. It's a natural outgrowth of his day job as CEO of Navion, a communications platform that helps the families of critically ill patients communicate more effectively with the doctors and hospitals that care for their loved ones. Now, you may remember we had Matthew on the show a couple of years ago to discuss Navion, and we want to hear about its evolution since then, but Aging 2.0 is such an important and relevant topic. So thanks for being here today, Matthew, for coming back on to discuss this with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. And joining me and Matthew is Tony Phillips, founder of One Up Fit, a local fitness program that seeks to educate and deliver fitness training in a playful atmosphere for seniors and others. One Up Fit is particularly focused on helping its clients gain critical skills to prevent falls and also to enjoy remaining vitally independent. Tony created the program several years ago after she herself experienced a fall and needed a hip replacement. In the years since, she has developed training programs that she teaches in classes at various facilities all around the city that cater to the market's elderly population. She also is an example of the kind of partner that Aging 2.0 seeks to work with. And Tony, it's a great story, and we're happy to have you on today. Thank well, you thank you so much, and we're really excited to be here today. Well, great. Matthew, Aging 2.0 was founded in 2012 in San Francisco, like I said, by a couple that they look terribly young based on their <laughs> website pictures, and, and all the people on their core team look so young also. How, how did they come up with this idea, and, and how did you sign on and get involved to head up the operations here? So one of the founders is a gerontologist who specializes in uh, the needs of older adults and um, really just recognizing as part of the San Francisco culture that there was a need to really shift the conversation from what they call aging 1.0 to aging 2.0 and really the idea is that how aging has been thought of in the past has been like it's a challenge it's a healthcare issue um, it's for old people only it's very philanthropic oriented and mission driven and really how do we take that and create sustainable models to really improve experiences and outcomes and not see aging as a challenge and a time of decline but of an opportunity to really reset the table and have meaningful experiences and actively choose the types of lives we want the same way we do the rest of our lives and not just oh, this is the time um, for like an end 
And I think often my grandmother, you know, by the time she was in her 50s, sort of wore a nightgown all the time. Mm -hmm, she didn't mm -hmm. go. And so the idea is today people are much more active for much longer periods of time. And the opportunity um, from an innovation and entrepreneurial standpoint, it's, it's a vast untapped market. As you said, the baby boomers, the silver tsunami is coming. And very few companies have been focused on creating products and services for them. But what we've seen through the network is an explosion um, in companies big and small, trying to understand and serve that market. So is it really about a, you know, a, a reshaping the conversation and the way we think, or is it really, at the, at the end of the day, a business-driven um, effort to help companies take advantage of, of this, right, and better serve the right. emerging market? So that is a great question. I think it, part of what they're doing is trying to shift the conversation. And so the interesting thing about this, it's a completely volunteer-driven organization, except for you know, a very small staff in San Francisco, and it's city-based. So the idea is that Aging 2.0 is really a convener that brings together people from across different silos and communities to talk about what they're doing, to see where there are opportunities for collaboration and business opportunities, and to bring entrepreneurs of any age as they think about things that are where they see issues. So for people who aren't themselves older, they have grandparents. Right. And one of the most successful companies right now out of England was started by a 23-year-old, I think, who saw the need that there was no resources for families that had a loved one with dementia. And he basically built an Amazon-type platform that has products and services for um, families who are caring for someone with dementia, and it's exploded because there's so little resources out there. So that's a good example. So it's definitely driven by supporting entrepreneurs and innovators, but really connecting with them, with the audience they're trying to market to. So to your point, the, a lot of the team members look younger. They have two things to address that. One is that the whole philosophy behind Aging 2.0 is designing with, not for aging populations. Mm -hmm. And they encourage every chapter to have... Um, like a, a, a chief senior officer and really make sure that there's someone at the table that represents who we're trying, you know, who we're working sure. towards and as we think about that. So. One would hope. Well, and Tony, you're, you're a perfect complement to this discussion because you're in this space very much with your own fitness program that you bring to the elder population here in Baton Rouge. And your story is so unique. You got into this um, after you, you broke your hip in your, in your early 60s, late 50s? Yes, uh, and it's a great story because it turns out that it was a tragedy to begin with and it turned out that I started a company because of it and I fall into so much of what Matthew just stated in that idea that um, there are so many of us out there like myself, although you know I did start this because of a need that for myself and then for others that I worked with as I was doing fitness, um, there are just so many people starting businesses in my age group and actually it's a, it's a very large group of people and um, I was just recently at a, a, a national conference for American Society on Aging and we saw so many people there starting businesses and many many of them 70 and older so it was wow. really exciting to be there and and see all of these amazing networks that we have and again as Matthew mentioned the silos are reducing because we have programs like Aging 2.0 to help us be able to get our message out and also interact with other groups because we all want to be supporting each other. Aging has so many great needs Absolutely. and um, and there are people doing good work but there's still so much to be done because the I don't believe, and maybe I'm wrong, Matthew, you might speak to this, I feel like there's not as much planning that could have been done in preparing for aging, and so there's a lot of need out there. 
because well, people don't want to think about it. They really. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like dying. I mean, right. it is. Well, it really is actually quite remarkable. And one of the things that's interesting about the format is that they have sort of eight large um, focus areas, and every year they pick two. And so the 80 chapters across, so it's global, they're in 19 countries. They all have events that focus on different kinds of formats, but talking about these events. So to your point about planning, like one of their areas, one of the areas of focus is around financial well-being. And for a lot of uh, aging people, they suffer from macular degeneration. So a thing that happens that's shocking is that they can't really even pay their bills. So they get their heat wow. turned off or they miss their rent. So there are a lot of innovative companies that are creating financial service models um, to address just that. And that seems like such a low, like a simple thing that can be solved. Sure. Um, so really the opportunity to to explore what works in our community and then for things that are successful, be able to socialize that across the nation and globally. I mean, that's really the opportunity is to be part of a, um, be part of a global network that's really looking at how to support um, not just people who are aging themselves, but you know the sandwich generation, which are raising kids and taking care exactly. of parents. I mean, it's a hu- it affects all of us Very wherever we are. And I think the, to the point about planning, whether it's for your health, what are your wishes if you get very sick, what's your financial plan, all of that is stuff that the earlier you can address it, the better off. Sure. And, and with respect to the, to the fitness component of it, Tony, I mean, that's so sort of ubiquitous in our society across the generations now, but probably the, the oldest Americans among us didn't grow up exercising like, like we did all the time, and, and now you're helping them. I mean, who, who are your clients, ah. and how do you reach them, and what are you bringing to them? That's a wonderful one. Um, our clients are not what you think, actually. Uh, we do have the oldest, and they were not the exercisers. Um, but we also began the program to help people that were in my age group because I was working with that group, and I saw so many people that if I was teaching Zumba Gold or I was doing water therapy, I would find people coming to class that had been injured or bruised or broken an arm or some type of injury. So I developed it based on that model. The reality is, as I'm developing this program now, the children of those parents are saying, hey, can you do a mom-daughter? Can you do a... People want to do it younger because one thing we do know, everyone is falling, and the pitfall is it's not about age. We have a lot of reasons people are falling, partly lack of exercise, um, and in my age group in particular, I'll say that um, 65 and older used to be the the gurus of exercise in the past and now there's about 75% of the population does little or nothing so it's 75% of the population does little or no exercise correct Wow. So uh, we're really trying to encourage, and that's my, my program is about bringing the joy, bringing the fun, having people have a great time so that they'll want to come back and keep doing it because biggest issue is getting exercise, but then there are some very specific things that we do that make a big difference. And did you develop this curriculum on your own? Did you have to go back to school or get some training or certification? Well, actually, I've had a lot of training already because I taught a lot of different coursework uh, through Arthritis Foundation, but I did have specific training in senior fitness. Um, I uh, am a science educator, a retired science educator with a background working with the National Science Foundation. So um, I've got a pretty strong background that gives me the support I need for doing the kind of work I do and doing my own research. And we do a tremendous amount of research to build the program appropriately. The physical component of it has been very well developed nationwide. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge we have with programs for people in this generation is they've not developed programs that are engaging 
uh, or fun, and so people aren't going. So everything turns out to be like physical therapy, and it's like, I already did physical therapy. I don't want to do that again. I didn't enjoy it the first time. So we're changing the whole dynamic. We use color and fun and music and socialization. So we bring in elements, and I mean really play. We really play so that they walk away feeling like, oh, wow, this is just great. And it's about breaking molds. Sure, sure. So, and you're bringing this to an assisted living center or a facility somewhere? We you go to them. They don't come to you. We go to them. With seniors, typically travel is always an issue, so we don't we even want to assume that people will be able to get where they need to go. Mm -hmm. uh, so we always make the move to them. So um, we'll go to senior living, uh, a lot of churches. So, you know, Baton Rouge is such a community-centered uh, city anyway. Churches are a great community center. But we also have, um, we've done it through Humana. Um, so we work in a number of different environments, and we're still a baby. You know, we're still growing. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking with Matthew Ratcliffe of Aging 2.0 and Tony Phillips of One Up Fit. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Tony Phillips of One Up Fit and Matthew Ratcliffe of Aging 2.0. Matthew, are you seeing other businesses like this in, in this area, and, and are you through Aging 2.0 helping helping them to try to put the pieces in place so they can scale up, whether it's fitness or whether it's a, you know technology or whatever it is? Right. I think one of the goals of starting the chapter, so we start we launched in September, okay. um, and, and there is a global startup search program within Aging 2.0, um, so we're going to be participating in that. Um, but it's really identifying potential entrepreneurs and really making them aware of the opportunity in the aging space. I think for a lot of people who are starting, especially the younger people starting out, there's sort of, they think much more in terms of what's immediately available for themselves in their age group. Sure. But once you understand the scale and scope of the opportunity, there really is a, a wonderful opportunity. So we're really hoping to encourage more people to look at starting businesses and meeting the needs of a bunch. Where are you searching for these entrepreneurs? So How are you finding them? Right. So part of it is just through our outreach program, whether it's on social media, through the Aging 2.0 network, but also partnering and looking to do events with um, the community college, with LSU, with Southern, and reaching out to where the stakeholders are, but also trying to target people outside of that and you know younger age group. Um, like Tony mentioned, and really identifying people who might have retired from one business, but say, hey, you know, I worked at a plant, and I know that all the people 55 plus, they have these X, Y, and Z needs that aren't being met. It yeah. wouldn't be, we, wouldn't it be great if we can offer them these services? So I think when you think about the Aging 2.0 framework, what, you know, who are our main employers in Baton Rouge, and what are the needs of the people who have worked in those industries, and how do we support them with tools that can be scalable across, not just Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. but the nation? Where is the money going to be coming from for this? I mean, you know, Medicare, we know, and people wonder if it's going to be around in 10 years. But obviously the government is going to have to shift the way it pays. Insurance companies are going to have to shift. Right. right? I mean, so, where where are the big funding sources? I mean, you mentioned the evidence base. That's what you're going to need to scale up. But then who are you going to take it to? Are you going to take it to the Humanas and the Blue Crosses? Are you going to take it to the Turner Industries or to the, I mean? Well, I would say from Aging 2.0, that... It is definitely looking to create sustainable businesses that can meet the needs of elderly popula aging populations. So, you know, obviously there's different 
segments of the population and it's not going to solve problems for everyone, but where there are opportunities to create intentional communities, so thinking about how real estate development is occurring or mm. transportation services or financial services or meaningful work, like what are the opportunities to bring people together? Like there's a very successful company out of Denver that basically did a marriage of like, you know, um, bringing people together who are looking to do shared housing. So it's like a sort of matchmaking service for housing for people over 65, which is great, right? Because for people with limited incomes, it actually offsets the cost. You can have so, you're not socially isolated. You're not necessarily living in a huge house where you raised a family. So there's Fantastic. so many, op- and, that's a, and that's a sustainable model that's grown right. very fast. So I think there's lots of opportunities to look at what the needs are and then figure out how to build sustainable businesses, that's the goal. Plug in the other piece. Right, because relying on the government piece can be super challenging and very (laughs) regulated, obviously. And I agree completely with uh, Matthew. Uh, Depending on the government is not really going to be the best sustainable model. Um, I think it's a great format for me presently because I am writing grants to to get the research done. But as a long-term projection, our goal was always to go commercial. Um, We'll use... um, basically a, a model called an affiliate model um, and it's that's kind of termed sometimes for products but in this case it's really for something um, a, a wonderful program that's out there for Parkinson's called Rocksteady okay. uh, they do this program they do an affiliate and that's my goal is to get it out there that way and of course if it should be that um, the government should want to fund it through Medicare Medicaid whatever that might be that's fine and we could utilize that but that's not going to be our direction because um, again I'm looking into the future and thinking a, a bit bigger picture because we can't really depend on what the government might be doing. And, and I would say to your, because that's a good question, I think, of how do things get sustainable. Um, you know, social determinants are a huge component of how people age and what types of health um, issues they encounter. And mm-hmm. part of the Aging 2.0 framework is really like thinking through how do we address the social determinants of health as you age. And so living in community, social isolation, and, you know, oftentimes the trajectory for people in the healthcare system is that they had a fall mm-hmm. and then all these other cascade effects come downstream. So I think, you know, we're really thinking about how do we look at our community and where are the gaps? And the thing that's pretty great is obviously we have so many great resources in the city. I mean, Pennington has a focus on the aging brain, which ties into dementia, obviously, and Alzheimer's. The mayor has programs that are very geared towards thinking about how to support the aging population. There's lots of nonprofits that are doing really amazing work here. And I think there's academics that are studying things at LSU, at FMOL, mm-hmm. I think at the Franciscan University. I think there really is tremendous opportunity to bring people together to identify, well, what are the opportunities of how we can not only improve experiences and outcomes, but also reduce the cost to the city and the state of caring for populations as they age because the numbers, the demographics are are you know are fighting against oh, the status quo and so we better figure out some new solutions quickly and the social determinants to me are so interesting because i mean you know so they say 50 is the new 40 and right. 40 mm-hmm. is the new 30 whatever that means that's for some people yeah it's not but for a lot of people 50 really is 50 or Correct. 70 really is 70 if they haven't right. had which is the social determinants component. you know and and so i mean you're really talking about that. two different yeah. populations or three maybe i don't yeah. know you know 
Well, that's true, and I think that's where it's going to take a lot of foresight just to be able to figure how things will go and, and always looking forward and, and, and searching what's going on in your – and, you know, when you say social determinants, it's, it's localized because Louisiana population has a very different set of criteria for your aging population than you would have perhaps in California or um, right. particularly like um, Arizona. Uh, if I, I, My daughter lives there, and I just came back from Arizona, and what a great difference there is. Um, and there's so many things in place already in Arizona. They're really ready, prepared, doing the work. Yeah. Where here, we're still just trying to figure out what needs to be done and where we can get it done. I love the real estate example that you brought up because that to me is so interesting. It's and a I know huge trend nationally. And there have been a lot of, you know, I don't know, you know, communities developed here recently I mean the most progressive one I can think of is out by the Grove uh-huh. sort of you know and, and, and right the Blake yeah. at the Grove and they've got the walking trails that are going to tie into that they've got retail nearby so a little bit of mixed use but are there any others yeah. in the planning that you're aware of so it's an interesting this is a super interesting topic but what some of the trends that are happening nationally is that groups of people are coming together and they're actually building with builders master community master plan communities that meet the needs of the of the, uh, their own needs so especially for people with higher income levels they really are trying to plan well what is it going to look like from 60 on or 70 on right. um, so i think that's one piece or more urban areas are taking over or urban areas are taking over buildings and then they're converting part of the building into common areas so that people can eat together so you can still live independently which is what most people say they want sure but still have people who are checking in on you and there are all these really interesting things where people have created all these like oh, you know i'm going to flash my light twice to let you know i'm okay <laughs> before i go to bed and, you know, that idea of creating intentional community, I think, is going to be something that becomes increasingly important um, and also works in, in terms of the economics for a lot of people. Just, and, there's a, and there's a wonderful step to that also is um, there's work being done out of uh, California um, and they're talking and, and doing research and, and building programs to establish homes that are multi-generational again. Right. So See, I love that. that's what so is really important because no longer the isolation. And the beautiful part is, as we're building these homes and they're looking at the development of these, almost all contractors in the future will be looking at how to build any home so that everyone can live in it from youth to any age. Um, and then again, in that multi-generation, your children can grow up in it. As you age, your parents age, then they move on and you're aging, you can all stay in the same environment. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful idea. And it's that, again, is also being done in Phoenix. And I, I actually saw that living and breathing. So it's, wow. it's wonderful. That's wonderful. Uh, tell me a little bit about the numbers that y'all are working with. You know, like how many people do you serve? Um, or does your company serve? Uh, how many people? And do they pay a fee when they come to your class? Or you get, uh, you know, a, a, a fee from the assisted living facility at the moment I'm working on grant funds Mm -hmm. so I'm actually giving programs to people and having them come in and we're doing the research we're paying them Um, eventually it will be a pay for or and again as you mentioned it could be the insurance companies so as we develop this although our affiliates will be part of our commercialization how to pay for the individuals that would attend the programs or the groups would probably come out of one of the insurance providers because they do have silver sneakers and other programs those programs are always in flux and some insurance companies keep them and then they drop them and so there's always different things going on and changes being done but those are probably the majority of the providers Mm -hmm. that would be the ones that would help people get these programs 
And and Matthew, what about aging 2.0? Does it get a, a finder's fee or a cut of a of a company that it may successfully bring together with another with a user or another company, or is it strictly a non? Yeah, not to my knowledge. I'm <laughs> <laughs> definitely not at the chapter level. Um, so they have. Um, corporate members, so lots of Fortune 100 companies are involved with Aging 2.0, and as you can imagine, companies like Uber and Lyft are really thinking about how they can get into the senior transportation sure. business and work transportation to hospitals, food delivery, all of that. So they're close, you know, companies like that are close partners. Procter & Gamble is a, is a key partner, and that's a good example of a company that's been around for, I think, 150 years but has never developed products for people, specifically designed products for people over 55. Wow. And now they've started a whole division and are investing a ton of money to really think about um, how to meet the needs of people you know, who are aging that really don't have products and services the way that they're accustomed to their entire lives. Suddenly that drops off and you're sort of confronted with you know, right. products that are associated with this very aging 1.0 version. Um, and I, I think an interesting thing on to tie back to what you said is last year at the they have a conference a global conference in San Francisco each year the featured speaker was Chip Connolly who founded Joie de Vivre Hotels okay um, and then got a phone call when he retired and sold it I think it was in his mid 50s <laughs> and uh, these people were like hey how would you like to come change hospitality forever and it turned out to be Airbnb and he wow was like I don't know that. <laughs> well but the interesting thing is he said I don't know anything about technology um, but he became their chief hospitality officer and he wrote a book about his experience because it really illuminates that the success of companies, and this has been replicated I think across Silicon Valley of these large companies, doesn't require just technical technology expertise and sort of our 21-year-olds or 18-year-olds. Mm -hmm. It also requires emotional intelligence. Yeah. And he really talks about how the future will belong to companies that can marry both of those things. And I think that's just such an interesting example because you don't think about Airbnb in the way, but when he talks about how the company evolved and in the book he wrote, it goes into a lot of detail. It's kind of fascinating and it just shows you that there's an opportunity for people of all walks of life and at all points in time to come together to really build the right types of experience that leverage both the technology that's available but also meet the human needs both on the consumer side but also internally how people are communicating and sure. able to realize the vision. So I thought that was a great example of how we can rethink how are we leveraging you it know, untapped so resources sense. in the country? Right, people well, have I mean, tremendous expertise. It seems like expertise. it would be common sense, but it's not. It is not. But you know, again, that technology is a wonderful piece too because surprisingly, many, many seniors, uh, I don't have the numbers on that, but a lot of seniors are a lot more tech savvy than people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And I think 85% of seniors have a smartphone. So sure. um, as far as things like Facebook, um, we do a lot of work on Facebook and maintain a lot of information on Facebook because people want access to information. So we're always drawing in things from whether it's you know uh, programs for home modification or people who are writing books on senior um, uh, diet or you know anything that can bring more information so that we're taking away the silos because information is everything. And if we can help people keep that quality information coming forward, supporting one another, and supporting the growth of this aging population, because um, it's it's slow growing in some senses, but the the, the numbers and the financial um, future is outstanding. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So. Um, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but the technology is a really good element, and we all need to keep focused on that as well. 
well, y'all, this is a wonderful discussion. I wish we had time to continue. It just flew by. But Matthew Radcliffe and Tony Phillips, you all are on the cutting edge of a field that's really clearly at the forefront of where this country is headed and creating platforms that will make it easier for people to age and to think about aging in new ways and also opportunities for those who want to serve them. So thanks for taking the time today to share your insights and for being with me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you for having us. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Matthew Rackleff of Aging 2.0 and Tony Phillips of One Up Fit. You can find out more about Aging 2.0 and One Up Fit by going to the links on our website, it's batonrouge.la. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. And our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsbatonrouge.la, and on our It's Baton Rouge Facebook page. These photos were taken by Carrie Hosford, and you can find more of Carrie's photos at carriehosford.com. You can hear this show and past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsbatonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansers on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansers is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 